0: Oh, it's just great to see you and great to see see it so full this morning. Man, man those little, when the kids are in here, there's not a seat left, is there? <laughs> yeah, Putting up chairs in the back, that's great. If you're visiting the Bible Church for the very first time, we are so glad that you found us today. And even if it's just for one holiday weekend, uh, we just trust the Lord blesses you and refreshes you in spirit. And if you're looking for a church home, and uh, Idlewild is uh, maybe your new home, We would love to think we could be a part of that story with you. So just pull us aside and we'll try to let you know more about where we are coming from here at IBC. My name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors. My privilege this morning is to help us enjoy God's word together. And We're going to start off today with just a few questions. Um, Before I get to those though, I'm going to ask you if you'll grab your Bible or your cell phone or iPad, whatever works for you. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to start. Uh, Bob is poised in the back to provide a Bible to anybody that might have gotten out of the house without one today and would like to have a copy of God's Word. And there is in your bulletin a little note page that we provide just to give us a little direction and structure. You might want to grab that as well. A few questions then to kind of get our, our brains fired up and make sure that we're all awake. Question number one, what do you call a boomerang that doesn't work? A stick. Yes, good. So you already know where these questions are heading, okay? What do you call cheese that isn't yours? Nacho cheese. That's right. Uh, This one might be a little harder. What do you call a chicken crossing the road? Poultry in motion. Ah... what? I didn't make them up. I, I'm just reading them, okay? Take it easy. What do you call four bullfighters in quicksand? Oh, man. <laughs> How about Cuatro Cinco? Where do you find a dog with no legs? Right where you left him. What do you call a man who falls into an upholstery machine? Fully recovered. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to end the torture now. You probably wish that you weren't awake at this moment, right? I do have one more question for you. This one's more serious. What do you call a Christian who isn't serving? Sad? Perhaps a contradiction? What do you call a Christian who isn't serving? A contradiction, perhaps. If we are Christians this morning, brothers and sisters, if we are serving the King of Heaven, then we cannot be not serving at all. We must be serving Him. What do you call a Christian who is not serving? A contradiction. As you see there on your note page, we are going to take another step forward in our one another study series this morning as we take up the Bible's admonition to serve one another. For the summer, we've committed to spend time hanging out with some of the roughly 40 different one another directives that we find on the pages of our Bibles, the pages of the New Testament primarily. And they're all listed for you there on the back side of this little note page if you haven't found that already. The ones that are highlighted are the ones that we have looked at Together so far, these are Holy Spirit given directives to you and to me as people who belong to Jesus, who belong to Jesus Church, and to those of us who call this place Idlewild Bible Church our home church, or wherever your church might be. We are a faith community of like-minded brothers and sisters, and these forty one another's are God's Spirit given help and instruction for how we can live extremely well together out of love for Jesus, out of love for each other, out of a desire for others to know the Jesus that we know. These 41 others help to unite us, to bind us and hold us together in healthy relational unity as a church family. Jesus was the one who said it best, I believe, on the night before he was crucified when he said in John 17, verse 21, as part of a prayer. The world will know that the Father sent me when you are one. I guess that we could say that we are in pursuit of one anotherism here in this place. We desire for one anotherism to invade every part of who we are as a church family, every place, every space, every ministry every program, every life group, every relationship for one anotherism to invade us, to get deep into our hearts. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to unpack for us today something of what it means to serve one another. What do you call a Christian who isn't serving? A contradiction. This morning we're going to discover more about why that is absolutely true. On your note page, the call to serve one another comes to all of us who are part of Jesus' church, first of all, as a general admonition. It comes from the heart of God through the pen of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatian church, chapter 5, where your Bible is open right now. The, The letter to the Galatians, as you may know, is often called the Freedom Letter. Paul wrote this letter intending that it would be a circular letter that would be shared by the early churches that were located in Asia Minor, which is today modern Turkey. And why was this letter called the Freedom Letter? Well, because the true message of Christianity, the the true message that Jesus came to bring us is a message of freedom, yes? We were talking about that and singing about that uh, in the run-up to our time together in the Word, Chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. It is for what? Freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. You see, before the truth of Jesus entered these people's lives that Paul is writing to, they thought that the way to please the gods that they worshipped, and there were many of them, was by doing all kinds of things. Do good things, avoid doing the bad things, and, God, and the gods will be pleased. They, they will like you, they will want you, and they want to bless you. Their lives revolved around trying to earn their God's approval through performance. And consequently, theirs was a, a spiritual life that was burdensome, it was heavy, it was tiresome, never-ending, never knowing if you had done enough to appease the gods, kind of an enslaving relationship, spiritually speaking. A works-based approach to appease the gods, and it held no peace. It held no rest for the soul. And if you stop and think about this, this is the only spiritual life that literally billions in our world experience today, thinking to please or win the approval of God through performance. Paul comes to the Galatians and he's carrying the message of Jesus and it is a radically different message. He says there's one God, there's only one. He is the only one and he's holy and he already loves us because he made us. We don't have to earn his love. It's already there. He already wants relationship with us, always has wanted relationship. But between him and us lies this great separation caused by the sin in our lives. Every single person, every one of us, is born with a sin nature and naturally wants to do things that are not God-honoring, but self-serving. This sin, standing between holy God and, and, and sinful us, makes it impossible for him to have the relationship with us that he wants to have. No amount of trying to be good on our part no amount of good deeds, no amount of trying not to do the bad things can ever remove the sin stain, the guilt of our sin that has accrued. So so enslaved to our old sin nature are we that we can never undo by ourselves what sin has done. Are we in agreement on that? That's what Scripture says. God, knowing this, He sends His sinless Son, Jesus, to us to pay a sin debt for us that we could never pay. And he pays that debt on the cross. He dies the debt that we should die. He pays the sin debt that we should have to pay. He pays it for us. We don't earn this privilege. Uh, we don't deserve for him to do this. He does this because he loves us. It's a gift. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 declares it this way. But God demonstrates his own what? His own love for us in this while we were still sinners. When we were at our worst, Christ died for us. Amen and amen. And and, and God's salvation is a love gift. A gift never earned. It, you know, you, you, you can't earn a gift. All you can do is receive a gift, only accept it with a grateful heart. And so Romans six twenty-three says this for the wages of sin is death, but the The gift of God is eternal life, eternal relationship with God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Galatians had never, ever heard of such a thing. And Paul brings that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus does all the work of saving us, the work that we could never do anyway. All we do is believe Him for what He has already done. That sets us free, doesn't it? That sets us free from ever having to try to earn our salvation or the approval of God. He sets us free from the enslavement to sin and to a system of performing to try to win the love of God. How freeing that is. It's over and done through faith in Jesus. If this morning you have not taken this faith step in your own life, believed what Jesus has done for you, then you are still working to try to appease or win the love of God in your life. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. God's already done the work. He says, believe in Jesus. Your sin debt will be taken away and you will know a freedom that you have never known before. Do not leave today without Jesus in your life. And you can talk to me about that. You can talk to a friend that you know here. But don't leave today without freedom in Jesus. Well, that was the message that God, through Paul, brought to the Galatians. Again, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. But God's message does not go unchallenged. And so, right after Paul preaches this truth to the Galatians, there are those who come in behind Paul, false teachers. And they say, it's okay if you, if you want to have Jesus in your life, but you still have to do this and this and this if you really want to be close to God and if you want God to be close to you. It's Jesus plus some other stuff. And Paul says, no, no, a thousand times no. You come to verse 13, chapter 5. You, my brothers, were called to be what? Free, yes, say that, free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, what are the next four words, five words? Serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, brothers and sisters, our newest one another today flows straight out of what God has done through the gift of Jesus. We are free this morning to do what? To serve one another. Not as a means of impressing God with with how good we are or how benevolent we are, how kind we are, so that he will like us more and want us more. No. We are free to serve one another simply as an expression of our love for God Our love for the Lord Jesus who died for us and our love for each other and, as well, our love for others to know Him who don't know Him yet. No strings attached. We serve out of love. We don't serve each other to get something. We serve each other because we're free to serve as an expression of our love for God. This making sense. This is where Paul's coming from. The two greatest commandments that Jesus gave we love God with all your heart and love each other, love others. How do we do that? Well, here the Holy Spirit says that we do that by serving one another. And to serve one another in the life of our church means that we commit our very selves to each other. In the same way Jesus committed his very self to us through the cross and then by the resurrection, the empty tomb. We commit ourselves to each other, our time, our, our resources, our money, our energy, our emotions, our expertise to meet practical and sometimes impractical needs that each of us have within the life of our church family. And we all have them, practical needs and sometimes impractical. Serving others certainly goes beyond the walls of our church and out into an unsaved idle wild. Uh, This effort that we're doing with the back-to-school drive and coming alongside of the help center to meet the needs of people in our community who can't afford school supplies for their kids, that is serving, but it's, it's a serving outside the walls of our church. But in this context, this admonition to serve one another is really centered on the company of faith and those of us who are part of this church family in particular. There are two different Greek words that we translate from the original into English as the word serve. One of those Greek words was a word that meant to be the slave of. The other Greek word meant to to wait on, like you would wait tables or wait on someone. Put these two ideas together and the English word that we have in our Bibles, the word serve, in the biblical sense, means that you and I, we wait on each other as if we are choosing to be one another's slaves. Well, that's a pretty radical thought, isn't it? To think of serving in that way. We're devoting ourselves to meet the needs of each, that we each have. Physical needs, material needs, emotional, relational, social, spiritual, practical, and impractical. We are slaves to one another because we're part of this thing called the church of Jesus slaves to one another did you come here today thinking you were a slave to anybody it's a radical way of thinking in our day given the individualism that is so pervasive in our culture me seeing myself as, as your slave you seeing yourself as my slave well, that, that takes some work that takes some work You, the servant to every other person in this room? Really? Me, the slave to every other person in this room? Can we even begin to imagine, brothers and sisters, how such a way of seeing and thinking can transform the life of a church? I'm your slave. You're my servant. Talk about creating the atmosphere of one anotherism that is so missing in our world and so attractive when it's present. This one another moves hard and fast in that direction. Well, that's the general admonition. Serve one another in love, out of love for God, out of love for the Lord Jesus, out of love for each other. But a more specific, more sharply focused exhortation to serve one another comes to us from another place. And so let's leave Galatians 5 now and head to the right in your Bible until you come to the little letter of 1 Peter. And you'll want to get to chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. You go almost to the end of your Bible to find Peter's two short little letters. And in 1 Peter 4, we'll begin a running start at the verse we're going to unpack by picking things up at verse 7. But we'll get a running start. Peter writes, verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And brothers and sisters, here once again is this theme. We can't get away from it, can we? This theme of love that drives the serving that happens in the life of a church. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then comes our verse. As each has received a gift, use it to what? To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And we all say amen and amen. Now here Peter takes the, the general admonition given to all of us to serve one another. And in verse 10 he connects our serving of each other. To a gift. Did you, did you see that? Did you catch that in verse 10? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, what Peter says here is not going to be new information to you. It'll be rather well known. If faith in Jesus is a relatively new journey for you, however... Peter says something that you might not even be aware of is real or true in your life. And it will be encouraging for you to know this. Brothers and sisters, the moment that we trusted Jesus and we put our faith in him in the way that we've just been talking about, the Bible tells us that God, by his own spirit, by the Holy Spirit, imparts to each of us a special gift. A gift different from the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus, which is, of course, the greatest gift we'll ever get from God. But the Holy Spirit, at the moment of saving faith in Jesus, gave gave me a special enablement, a special ability, something called a spiritual gift. Oftentimes we're given more than one, and then the Holy Spirit kind of meshes and molds those together to create something very special that is uniquely yours. And he gives us this gift for the express purpose of equipping us to be able to serve God by serving each other. That's verse 10. Serving each other within this place called Idlewell Bible Church. The Bible lists roughly 20 of these special gifts given for this purpose by God to his church, to you, to me. Gifts of leadership, of speaking, gifts of administration, helping, teaching, mercy gifts, giving gifts, evangelism gifts. 20 or so special giftings often are given solely so that we can serve each other through the gift. For the strengthening of Jesus' church. You, brothers and sisters, each one of you have at least one gift given by God so that you can serve. And I have those two. Now, to tease that out just a little bit more, let's, let's leave Peter. Let's run back to the left in our Bible and let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians this time. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where you want to go with me comes right after the book of Romans, just before the book of 2 Corinthians. Great. We're on the same page. Good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, the Apostle Paul here is writing the Christians in 1st century Corinth, and he says in the opening verses of this chapter what we just said a moment ago. The Holy Spirit gives to every Christian at the moment of, of belief in Jesus a gift, a spiritual gift that makes it possible for us to contribute, to, to, to participate in, to be involved in the life of our church in a significant serving way. Then he says in verse 7 of chapter 12, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given, what, is the next, what are the next four words? For the common good. Just exactly what we've been saying. In other words, this gift that you have been given was not given to you for you. It was never intended to be for you. It has always been, from the moment that it was given, it was intended that you would use your gift to do what? Serve one another. That's it. Given for the common good. Very important, that little detail. You and I have been gifted so that we can serve each other. And there isn't one of us who knows Jesus this morning who says, I don't have what I need to do this thing called serving. To make his point, Paul, beginning in verse 14, likens the church to a human body with all of its various parts working together. Each part of the body serving the whole so that the body functions properly and in a healthy way and he says in the same way, in the same way we all need to see each other and our holy spirit gifts within the life of the church kind of functioning like a body in verse 27 paul says now we are the body of christ and each one of you is a part of that to say it another way paul tells us we cannot not be part of jesus church if we know jesus We're part of the body. We're part of this body and we possess a gift that this body needs to function well. So the question isn't, am I a part of Jesus' church through faith in him? The real question is, am I an involved part of Jesus' church? Am I a serving part? Am I a serving part using this special gift mix that God gave me for the good of the rest of the brothers and sisters who are in my church family? Am I using my gifts? We've all known people who, because of an injury or a disease, perhaps a birth defect, have a part of their body that refuses to function like it's supposed to. Depending on the severity of that, the person lives with, does their life much more difficultly than we do. But a healthy body, a whole body, where every part is working, interdependent and interrelated and functioning and serving, well, that body really does well. And Paul's analogy would be the same for the church. When everybody in the church is using their gifts and serving one another, that church family really functions well. It functions in a healthy way. It can do all the things that it's supposed to do. But the very opposite is also true. If every part is not functioning, not using the gift, not serving, then that that church family is handicapped in some way. And So this becomes very, very important. That again was Peter's exact point. If we go back to 1 Peter. He says, we'll just put it up on the screen for you. As each has received a gift, use it to what? To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As a responsible caretaker of the gift, I do what with it? I serve you with it. That's the only possible direction I can go if I'm a responsible steward of my gift. Now, Peter, rather than break out the 20 plus spiritual gifts line by line here, simply groups them into speaking gifts and into serving gifts. And in verse 11 he says, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified. That's where it all goes, doesn't it? Not only does the body suffer when we are not serving one another out of our giftings, but Peter adds that God doesn't receive the glory that is due him. This serving thing is a big deal. It's a, it has big implications. There's a big upside, big big benefits for the people of a particular church family when serving one another is happening and everybody's releasing their gifting. There's, there's a big upside for you and me as we receive the benefits of those gifts. There's a great upside for us as we, we serve and use these gifts because there's joy in doing that. And there's a big downside. For everybody, God included, when we fail to serve one another out of our gifting. Am I a serving part of this body called Adolio Bible Church, if it's my church home? And if you're visiting today wherever your church home is, the question still applies. Using the gift mix that God gave me for the good of the rest of the brothers and sisters who are part of my church. They deserve nothing less. From me. And even as we ask this, I would be missing the mark if I did not say in this moment that serving one another is an incredible thing to observe here at IBC. And I'm not just trying to 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 make points or pat people on the back today. But I continually marvel at the involvement that and, and, and not just the involvement, but the level of serving, the extent of service that, that takes place here in this amazing thing called Idlewell Bible Church. This is a great church to be a part of because so many are doing exactly what Peter calls for, releasing their gifts for the sake of one another. It's a great church to be the pastor of, I can tell you that, because so many are serving, the load is lighter. Thank you, Lord, for that. But as with all of the one another's, to serve more effectively, more specifically, more consistently, and for some of us to, to begin using these gifts for the very first time, well, that's something we can always be making improvements on. It'd be awesome if today you were challenged to think about new ways of releasing your gifting. In the life of this church. That would be an awesome thought. I had a gal who came up after first service. And said boy the Holy Spirit was just talking to me Tim. I want to meet with you. My husband and I meet with you. Because there's something on my heart. There's a gifting and I need to release it. I would like to talk to you about how to, how to make that happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Alright so. All of us who are in Jesus by simple saving faith, have been called in a general sense to serve each other and we've been called in a specific sense to serve each other out of this special God-given mix of gifts. It's how one anotherism will flourish and grow in a church family, in this church family. But our consideration of what it means to serve one another would truly be incomplete if we did not take time to remember Jesus as the ultimate example of what it means to serve, right? Right? If we didn't end up here, <laughs> this would be uh, not a good thing for any of us. We want to observe the essential quality of a servant, and we can't find that any more clearly than in the person of Jesus. Uh, you might be in First Corinthians. You could be in First Peter, but I'm going to ask you to leave both those places. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, chapter 20, for just a moment. Matthew chapter 20. Love to hear the pages turning. That's great. The scene's going to set itself, so we'll just let it do that, beginning in verse 20 of Matthew 20. It goes like this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, and Zebedee's sons are James and John. They're the two of the preeminent disciples. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with their sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Just a tiny little request, nothing too big. You can just picture this. Can't you just see this moment unfolding? You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. And he's referring to the cup of suffering. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten, the other ten disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus calls them all together. You can just picture Jesus doing this. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Brothers, James and John want seats next to Jesus in heaven. And they are not they are not opposed to asking mom to help them, right? It's perfect. When the other ten get wind of what's happening, they, they reflect their anger at not beating these two brothers to the punch. What a sneaky trick, they say, using your mother to gain the advantage. Why didn't we think of that? So tensions are running high and Jesus steps in and he says in verses 26 and 27, you will be great when you are a servant. You will be first when you are a slave or last. Jesus says, my followers are servants. They don't ascend to greatness. They descend into greatness. That's his message. They have a heart of humility and they think only of serving others. They do not think about themselves. And so looking for an example of what this looks like and finding none better, Jesus, he shines the light on himself. Verse 28, As the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I'm your example of what serving others looks like. We dare never, brothers and sisters, take for granted the almost incomprehensible truth that when the God of the universe became a man, he chose to come in the form of a servant, not a king. That is so upside down in our thinking. How radical that was in his day. How radical that is in our day. We are never closer to the heart of our God. Never closer to the heart of the Lord Jesus. Never beating more in sync with his heart than when we are serving one another. Because that's what he does. But that requires a special kind of humility. A a humility that we get to see in an amazing passage as we Prepare our hearts now to come to this table this morning and remember what Jesus has done. So you've been all over your Bible here in the New Testament. I'm going to ask you to go to one more place, Philippians chapter 2, and join me for the the most incredible expression of the heart of our Savior. Philippians chapter 2. We'll pick it up at verse 3. Paul by the Spirit of God, writes to this church family. and He says, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The very things that the the brothers and the other ten were doing in Matthew 20. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What Paul is talking about is serving, isn't he? That's what he's talking about, serving others. And what will serving others always require? Humility. A willingness to descend into greatness. And so Paul turns to Jesus in verse 5. He says, Your attitude should be the same as that of who? Jesus. Yes, Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature Of a what? Of a servant. Being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. You know, most of us are familiar with the term upward mobility, right? We know that term. Moving up, always up in our world. Jesus practiced the very opposite. He practiced what? downward mobility of the most extreme kind from the glories of heaven to the realms of earth not to be a king but to be a what? A servant. He temporarily lays aside all the privileges that belong to him as God never ceasing to be God but setting aside his divine glory his independent authority his divine prerogatives as God of the universe creator of all things, and he becomes a servant. It is impossible to comprehend and glorious to consider all at the same time what love and humility moved within the heart of Jesus to cause him to come, not for his sake, but for ours. Amen? And to serve us unto death. Such truth we want to consider as we prepare our hearts now to come to the Lord's table. Let me take a moment and just pray as we head in that direction. And, Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenges to us from your word today. We do want to be a church family. So much want to be a church family where one another is, is the air that we breathe. We do not want to be contradictions. Christians who do not serve but this will never happen except by your doing. It is you who must make us this way, humble in heart, loving one another, playing out of our giftedness and serving. We do with all humility say to you, Jesus, right now, we want one day to stand before you and we want to hear you say the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Make it so. For your glory, for the good of your church, for our mutual good in this place, and for the eternal good of those who are outside these walls and don't know you yet. Make it so. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And amen.